So we're really pleased that one of our favourite writers, filmmakers and self-proclaimed loud Aussie is joining us here on 98. Not out. Welcome to Jared Kimber. Jared, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, first off, how's it been going in lockdown for you? Uh, yeah, I'm lucky. I've got a big backyard, uh, but I have been homeschooling my kids. So I've got six and seven year old boys. Uh, so home, homeschool them during the day and then uh, try and do all my work at night. So it's, uh, you know, I, I basically give myself two full time jobs at the moment. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of fun, but I spend so much of my time traveling around the world that it is actually great to just spend you know a couple of months when my kids can't even you know go to school they have to spend time with me <laughs> it is um it's interesting isn't it because a lot of sports shows and publications have just sort of said oh no sport we're going to give up but i think if you keep at it there's still a lot going on and a lot to sort of write and talk about isn't there look for me i mean i'm probably i basically built a career not having to even be at a game like a lot of my work is feature-based yeah. So I think for a lot of guys, a lot of sports writers, they went, oh, my God, what are we going to do? I was like, this is basically just my normal week. I'd, I'd probably prefer to write the bigger picture stories and, you know, long features and analysis and whatever, you know, profile on a player. That's just my normal thing. Uh, whereas I think for a lot of other guys, they're used to going, uh, you know, go to the match, you know, the press conference before the match, then the match, then the press conference after the match. Um, and that's just not been how I've done my, my work. So... For me, that hasn't been a problem, but to be fair, the entire freelance market has obviously disappeared, so uh, not too many people answering my emails at the moment, because they're <laughs> probably not even uh, working themselves, so it's, it's been an interesting challenge. I, I've only ever really worked in two major industries in my life, one was travel and the other one sport, you know, so virtually all my friends are unemployed at the moment. Yeah, I know that feeling, <laughs> as, as someone who's in the entertainment industry. Um, <laughs> You're probably one of the first guys to get into podcasting or cricket podcasting anyway. Now you've got a couple of podcasts still going. I've got a lot of cricket podcasts. Yeah, I think, when did I start? Maybe 2008, when, uh, before it was a term. Back in those days, you then had to explain it for the next two minutes if you said you had a podcast. <laughs> it's interesting now, like, you know, Mark Nicholas has a podcast, whereas when I was starting, you know, he would not have known what a podcast is. No. And he would not have waited around for you to explain what a podcast was. Uh, no. I remember I became the... I became the Wisden uh, blog uh, writer, so I would write about all the blogs. Um, and when I and that was in maybe 2008, 2009. And I remember Shield Berry, his first question to me was, "What's a blog?" <laughs> um, and and not long after that, maybe I only did it for a couple of years, but I think my last year I might have done podcasts as well. So maybe 2010, 2011. So I've been there from the beginning. But I sort of I have a podcast and I let it go. Um, but having all this extra time and being at home, I've been trying to come up with like a podcast network for years. So I basically thought this is a really good time to start it and get it going so that, you know, I know I won't miss it. And so I've got two podcasts at the moment. So one is called Red Inca, which is basically just I pick one story a week and I either get a person who's lived the story or a writer or broadcaster who's broadcast um, about the story to come on as an expert. And you just ask them one thing. We did like 50 minutes on the no ball rules. So, you know, in cricket, when they stopped calling the, the yeah. no balls because um, uh, the umpires just stopped calling them mm. uh, because they were too hard to call. I did 50 minutes on that, which sounds dull, but it's actually a really fascinating story of how we got to that point where basically cricket wasn't enforcing its own laws. Um, and then uh, I've got another podcast that has just started coming out now called Double Century, which is about the history of cricket. So to, the first series is 11 episodes. The first one went out, I think, earlier this week. Uh, the second one uh, drops tomorrow. And it's talking about, you know, really interesting um, stories in cricket that I don't think people understand. I, th I don't think people understand how haphazard test cricket was when it started. So I don't know if you guys know the story, but essentially, they were everyone was playing tests 
what, what they called tests from 1850 onwards. It's just that no one had a database of what a test match was. <laughs> so you and I could just like call a match a test if we had a couple of players that we thought were good play- that were playing in it. Um, and so, you know, the first episode is talking about how England's wicketkeeper missed out because he was in a jail in Christchurch <laughs> and that it was only decided to be a, a test because some random writer in South Australia went forward and went, I'm going to write a list of all the games I consider to be test matches. I've so actually, I've done a podcast about that. I actually listened to it last night and it's a really, really good podcast. <laughs> Oh, thank you. It, it, it's really fascinating uh, to listen to some of the stories of, you know, the, the misconceptions of what people thought was the early forms of cricket. Um, yeah, I, I honestly just don't think, you know, and it's fair, I think cricket history is so old. That how would people know about all this sort of stuff? I mean, I'm not a football fan. I only found out recently that Manchester City and Manchester United basically formed because there was a lot of knife crime in the UK <laughs> at that time, and Manchester was hit by it. We don't always know those stories. Mm. We know everything about Manchester. We can tell you who the third left back is, you know, and all of us can talk about, you know, who, who's, um, you know, Essex up-and-coming player at the moment, right? But we don't always know how these things started. And they actually, they, they really do, you know, Everything that started with cricket, you know, from the way the laws were um, made around gambling all the way through, that we're still living with all those things today. You know, if, if cricket was played on a concrete slab, it would be a completely different sport. So, you know, even just having the fact that we, we have liquid manure, that changed what cricket was. Before liquid manure, literally, cricket was a sport for bowlers. And once we worked out how to make pitches better uh, by smoothing out the, uh, the, the surface, suddenly it became a pitch for batters. I don't think people know that. Now, it is one of those fascinating stories. Um, last week we highlighted a story you wrote. Um, it was, I think it dropped just as our show was on last Thursday. Uh, an ICC meeting where despite the crisis going on, nothing really happened in the meeting other than they was trying to work out who was leaking stories. Yeah, I mean, sadly, that is how the <coughs> ICC um, worked. Uh, it, it, was, it was a very incredible thing, actually. The ICC is... You've got to understand, I, mean, I always think of it as, if you think about all your local cricket clubs, right, and you've got the big posh club in one corner, and you've got the more working class uh, one, and then you've got, you know, maybe one club with a bunch of minorities, and one club that's run by women, and all those sorts of things. Now imagine that they had a billions of dollars to play with, and they all don't like each other because they have to play against each other, you know, every Saturday. Uh, and now they're trying to decide. That's basically what the ICC is. It is such a... Uh, uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I could even reach for the, the correct word, but it's such a dysfunctional organization in that no one is in it together. So when they get together and they're supposed to be, you know, trying to bring cricket together through coronavirus and they're literally all sitting there saying, oh, everyone's leaking. Uh, I get calls from different boards all the time. Everyone leaks because they all despise each other. Yeah. And they're not in it together. If cricket was run, uh, you know, if it had an independent body, which, you know, some cricket boards around the world, Cricket Ireland has one, uh, cricket Australia, uh, Cricket New Zealand, you know, there's a few boards around the world that have, an, you know, an independent body. They are all in it together to make cricket better in those places. The ICC is not all in it together. The Indian person wants what's best for India. The Sri Lanka person wants, wants what's best for Sri Lanka. The Bermudan person wants what's better for Bermuda. <laughs> and so they hate each other and they all, you know, they're all cutting each other's lunch and all these sorts of things all the time. So, yeah, they are, it is their job to fix cricket and they're literally trying to work out who leaks. So, yeah, I think my tweet was along the lines of, I can help you, you're all leaking. <laughs> so, so this brings us nicely on to um, the excellent film, which I, I, I watched again um, day before yesterday as, as a sort of homework for this, um, Death of a Gentleman. 
um, which you made with Sam Collins and Johnny Blank. Really interesting film. If uh, people haven't seen it, it's available on Amazon and Netflix uh, right now. Now, just sort of run us through this. This started off as you tracking the progress of, uh, of Ed Cowan, and then it went from there, didn't it? Yeah, essentially, uh, you know, I was making a video series, online video series in 2011 for ESPN, and uh, me and Sam were traveling around together making that, and we were like, we, if we have access to all these people, and we're journalists, and we're not really flexing our journalism, what should we do? We should make a film that is important for cricket. Well, basically, for us, there were two major things. One is, is this match that we're watching currently fixed? And the other one was, it, what is the future of Test cricket, and is it dying? And we thought, for our first film, that maybe going into the underbelly of um, uh, match fixing might be a bit of a stretch for us. We neither of us had ever made a feature film before. So we started going in with that, and so yeah, we Ed Cowan was just a friend of mine. <laughs> like I'd I'd known him. He used to read my blogs back in the day, and we used to chat sometimes. When I, we really got to know each other, when we both moved to Europe at the same time, I moved to the UK, and he was playing cricket in the Netherlands, and so we were away from our friends, so we just spent all the time chatting with each other. And then uh, somehow he ends up in the Australian team, yeah. convinced him to be in the film, and um, yeah, and so we went around just asking people. Um, you know, Dave Richardson um, and would end up being the ICC, you know, CEO. But at that stage, he was just working for the ICC. Dave, can we talk to you? Sure. You know, uh, Haroon Lorgat is the ICC um, uh, CEO. Giles Clark was the ECB chairman. Uh, James Giles like Clark. Yeah, they're all massive people in cricket, but they thought we were such jokers because of what we did for a living. Yeah. And I honestly think that when we walked into that room, looking the way that we looked, Giles Clark thought we were a student film crew. He honestly did not think that we were a proper film crew making a proper film. Yeah. And it was only maybe later when he first saw the trailer um, mm. that he, that's when he started contacting us saying, actually, that interview I did, I didn't do it properly. If you give that back to us, um, yeah. like, oh, we'll do another interview. We were like, no, no, we're quite happy with that interview, actually, Dobbs. Thank you for that. Um, there is a bit, isn't there, when uh, when you turn up in Dubai and uh, he's walking into the hotel and he sort of he says to someone, oh, those idiots are outside and... Yeah, that, and that's how we were. We, we got, uh, I think that was at the ICC meeting, yeah. but then later on we were in the hotel and they had us thrown out of the hotel. Um, <laughs> and in Dubai, it's not quite, you know, we didn't quite have a permit or anything. So you, had your, we were, you had your fake shake, didn't you? We did, we had a fake shake. I mean, we were, it was such a ridiculous thing. There's a moment just before we get thrown out of that that didn't end up making the film, but I remember Sam looked at me and he said, you and I basically grew up watching action films. Are we only here because we know that's what the hero is supposed to do, is turn up? Um, and, you know, we were, real, we were really thinking about it in this cinematic term. And they just looking going, those unwashed idiots are outside again. Can you get rid of them? Um, and it really was, they spoke to us because they didn't think anything was going to come of it. And then when they realized that something was going to come of it, you know, suddenly ECB uh, withdrew my accreditation. It was, it was quite full on. I remember when we got thrown out of the hotel in Dubai, I rang my wife up and said, is it possible that you could be forced out of your job by political pressure or by, you know, some random millionaire who's got, you know, friends? Because uh, I think they're going to come for me. And they did. And we were mm. right. And that was just because we were exposing them. That no one had ever covered them. We, you know, the amount of times we would go to an ICC event, there was no one there. But to find out what hotel they were at, and this was a really important meeting. This is about the carve-up of cricket and where the money goes, right? To find out that, it took us four hours of calling around to find out where the meeting was even going to be. And when we were there, we were the only press there. The next time we turned up in Dubai, there was a press area, and press started turning up. That's how much things changed while we were making the film. Is there a danger of what's gone on with the crisis that the big three of the ICC are going to do another big money grab after this and take even more of the share? 
Yeah, uh, at the moment, it's a really interesting time. I wrote a piece for the Cricketer recently about it's a, basically everyone's out for themselves. So the new CEO of the ICC told that if you make as much money for the ICC as possible, you get a huge bonus from what I can <laughs> tell, right? And so he's come in and he's he, like, so Associate Cricket had its own coach, a guy called Richard Dunn. They, they got rid of all these other people who did incredible things for cricket and have grown cricket, really important cricket people that no one outside of, you know, massive cricket nerds know even exist. The ICC got rid of a bunch of those, and they're doing everything they can to maximize their money. But at the same time, Srinivasan, who in my film is a bit of a villain, he's now back because he's got his puppet trying to take over the ICC, who just took over the BCCI in India, the Indian Cricket Board. And then you've got um, Colin Graves is now making a bit of a play for the... That's for the, right, yeah. You know, for the ice. Got, there's a really interesting guy. I can't remember if he's the Singapore or the Malaysian cricket guy. But he's basically what... ...to now have a bit of a vote. I have a bit of a say and speak up for the little guys here. He wants to say everyone's got their own agendas. There's a chance that cricket could be a completely different place in three years' time than it is right now. The ICC come together as a as an organisation and say we can sell cricket as a uh, sorry we can sell test cricket as a product as a as a complete league. So when I say cricket at the Olympics, a lot of cricket fans go, "Oh, more cricket! How do we fit it in?" But you know, if you're a Brazilian woman professional player, uh, you're probably going to want to play cricket at the Olympics so that you can keep being a professional. And if you're a disability cricketer, I mean, they just had a World Cup in England last year. Uh, I think there was five teams, and they weren't even allowed to call it a World Cup. There is so much we can do to grow this game for women and disabilities and associate levels uh, that the Olympics can do for us. So if we can safeguard test cricket, organize the structure of the T20 franchises better, and get cricket into the Olympics, we, we can really start to do incredible things for cricket. That's what the ICC should be doing, but instead they're trying to work out on who has moaned about and who other and uh, who has done a leak. And that sort of tells you where we are. So I won't hold my breath that they're about to do a bunch of great Is things. Is it just because their, their aims are in completely the wrong direction? They're aiming at commercial and money rather than the love of the sport? Yeah, and uh, very short term. See, they would say to me, we're, doing business, we're making business decisions, right? We want to make as much money as we can out of cricket right now. And I'd be like, how is not growing cricket in Japan, a country absolutely obsessed with baseball, um, not a valid business decision? How is not moving cricket put more and more forward in, in America another country that probably could get cricket, and there's already a big cricket market um, mm. uh, in the USA. I mean, you go to Crick Info or Crick Buzz and ask them how many of their users are based in the USA. There is a market there. It the is not being tapped. Yeah. 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 So uh, expats, and there's also this, this old budding, uh, you know, I, I go on a lot of podcasts. I go on, like, baseball podcasts and ice hockey podcasts that talk about cricket. There's, their hipster market is starting to move to cricket in the way that their football, they did with football. We know that there's an audience in Japan. Japan have got very good at cricket. We've also just seen recently that the Thailand women's team and the Brazilian women's team are suddenly professional and doing really well. You know, new markets that we wouldn't have even dreamed about five years ago, maybe even two years ago, are suddenly getting into cricket. So don't tell me that you're making good business decisions if you're not trying to grow the game and make money off their TV market. I just don't believe that's the case. I don't think we're making the best business decisions we can in cricket and if it was me i'd be like i'm willing for cricket to live on a little bit less money in the next five or ten years india and pakistan don't have to play each other at every world cup in order to make sure that one of those big markets comes into the game in the next cycle so i can make more money that doesn't seem to be the way that cricket is run at the moment i seem to remember you highlighted china and the growth of cricket in china in the film death of a gentleman yeah and you know Hong Kong got really good at cricket as well. There yeah. are so many yeah. markets like Hong Kong and China out there. 
it's, it's silly to not have them. So I don't know if you know a story about German cricket, but basically when Germany allowed all the refugees to come in, a huge percentage of them came from Afghanistan, and they brought their newfound love of cricket with them. Suddenly the German team's a lot better. It won't be that long before German cricket is at a level that it's, you know, where, where Cricket Scotland is now and where the Dutch team are, and they'll be pushing for World Cups and things if they keep improving. That's another huge TV market. And, Ger- and, and Germans then, in a World Cup, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> never, never good for the English, that. So, I mean, if you, you know, you think about it, like, and you don't know which market is going to take off with cricket next. We just don't know. All, all I know about cricket is, is that once nations get involved with it, they get pretty obsessed with it. And if that's the case, that sounds like to me that you'll be able to get, you know, charge their fans for years to come. That's what they should be doing, growing the game. I want every single person in the world to have the ability to watch or play cricket. And at the moment, that's simply not the case. And that's because we created this. England and Australia created it. You know, we, we haven't grown the game properly. And if that's not what the ICC's main job is, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand what we're doing here. No, indeed. Jared, what, what's next for you? Is there a follow-up film, more podcasts? What is next for me? Uh, I've got all these podcasts going out, so I suppose I'm doing those. I've now got my own show on TalkSport, uh, which is a general show. It's like a documentary show once a week, 8pm uh, on Sundays, if you want to tune in. Obviously, everyone will be listening to your station, <laughs> but if they get a chance to come across. Um, I'm, just, I'm just working on a lot of different projects uh, like that. At, you know what I think moment. you should do? I yeah. think you should. Do, I think you should do a, a vlog of how to pack a suitcase because there's some pretty fancy packing between you and Sam going on in that uh, death of a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was, uh, everyone likes that when I just put all my shirts in at once. But I tell you what, <laughs> I am when you when you do this job and you spend as much time travelling as I do, you you don't you have no idea how obsessed you get with all these like little travel accessories and everything. So I could actually do like a proper YouTube, <laughs> YouTube channel. But I've got my own YouTube channel on cricket at the moment, so I'm happy with that. I've been making some some videos over there, and um, I, I think um, for me, it's just I just like to do as many different kinds of projects as I can. So this is a really interesting time um, to do that. And you know, luckily I've got the support of you know a few fans on Twitter, and you can you can get the podcast in. And you know, I think it's a great time to be creative, you know, in sport or even with outside of sport, to be able to go, I'm just going to produce what is essentially like an audio book on the history of cricket um, and get, you know, people who follow you on Twitter to help pay for it and get a you know, professional producer to come in and those sorts of things. Uh, it's a very interesting and fun time at the moment. So I'm just going to keep doing things like that, you know, produce my animations, my cricket animations on my YouTube channel and all those sorts of things. And, and uh, it, it's been really fun. And um, I just, you know, I love the game a lot. And to be able to, you know, uh, push it to new audiences and to, to new markets is, you know, a real passion of mine. And I think a lot of, you know, Test Match Special is such an incredible, uh, in, you know, production and, um, and legacy item, really. Um, but isn't it great that we can also, you know, I can make animated um, things where I make fun of cricketers and people also can find the game that way. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do. And it's the same with your kind of show, yeah. isn't it? I think you it's know, one of the great diversities of the game, isn't it? That we, we can all have a say in different things and enjoy the game equally as much as one another. It probably means as well that someone like Test Match Special doesn't have to deviate from a traditional, well-loved format because there, it leaves room for the rest of us to try and do our thing. Definitely. And, and, you know, the rise of technology and, you know, I, I've just done a podcast with Adam Collins and, and Dan Norcross who, who were doing about the rise of commentary. And, you know, the episode that I was on is sort of about, you know, new people like me who come in from, you know, it wasn't that long ago that someone like me, you know, I don't have a high school um, 
you know, I didn't finish high school. I'm not a former cricketer. Uh, I'm not even English, and yet I can go in and be a you know a, a top writer, um, you know, mainstream writer. I can I broadcast the World Cup final, you know, all these sorts of things. You know, I think we're starting to slightly open up cricket, you know, beyond the sort of public school set and allow you know the weirdos like me to come in and do this. You know, weirdos like me, weirdos like you guys. You know, and we should be able to do this because we, you know, too long in England, and I'm an Australian, and I come into this, but for too long you can see that this game has sort of been ring-fenced for certain people. And that's not what it should be. It should be a game for every human being. Because I truly believe this is a wonderful, crazy, nonsensical game. And, you know, I think people should be able to laugh at the fielding position, you know, in, in Brazil or in Portugal or in China. And that's just that's my sole belief, that everyone should be able to make fun of cricket. They should know enough about it that they can. Why not, indeed. Jared, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks for taking your time to join us here. On Many thanks, Jared. Been superb. No problem. Thanks, guys. And Good luck with everything. You soon. Thanks a lot. Take it easy.